Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Chuck, let's go over the Stuff You Should Know concert calendar. (laughs) My friend, we are hitting the road for the Spring Has Sprung Tour. We are going to be at the Neptune Theater in lovely Seattle, Washington on April 8th, my friend. The next day, we're going to head south to Portland, Oregon, at Revolution Hall, April 9th. We are going to Houston, Texas, my friend. Nice. Uh, Warehouse Live on May 28th, Memorial Day weekend. And yeah. finally, finishing up, Denver, Colorado, at the Gothic Theater on May 29th. Two more dates coming. Yeah. Keep your ears out. And in the meantime, if you want to get tickets, you can go to SYSKlive.com, powered by Squarespace. And we'll see you guys on the road. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. And this is Stuff You Should Know. I, there's so many things I could do right now. I could sing the My Buddy theme song. Uh-huh. I could sing the theme song to Thundar the Barbarian. Okay. Uh, I could talk about Topps Baseball Cards, 1986. Yeah, and the, that rock-hard stick gum. That came with it, yeah. 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 Um, I don't think they have gum in baseball cards anymore, do they? <laughs> Maybe they just gave up the ghost. They're like, no yeah. one wants this. Nobody actually. wants it. It took out some kid's eye, and that was that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nostalgia. So I think we should dedicate this show to John Hodgman. Let's. I thought we kind of implicitly dedicated every show to Hodgman. <laughs> well, we do. Why you know, explicitly this time? Well, Hodgman is, uh, he is on record time and time again mm-hmm. with the following quote. Okay. Nostalgia is the most toxic impulse. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, he doesn't like a Christmas story, does he? I don't think he's seen a Christmas story, but he, uh, he is very adamant and is, been on record many, many times on his own podcast, Judge John Hodgman, okay. and to me in person, mm-hmm. when he wants to go on about how much he hates nostalgia, mm-hmm. about how bad it is, and, and his deal, and I'm going to mention him quite a bit in here, so he's either going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, it's about nostalgia, and these are my friends, or he's going to skip it all together. I could see him skipping it all together. Because he doesn't want to hear about it. We maybe should clue him in and be like, Hodgman, oh. you're in this. He'll listen to it a million times if we tell him that. So his notion is that uh, it's a longing for a better time that does not exist. That we look back with rose-colored glasses and it was not, in fact, better. Right. And that it's toxic to do so. Right. And that's absolutely a correct definition of nostalgia. Well, but Hodgman's I, I don't idea falls apart at the end when he says that it's toxic, because quite the contrary, 
nostalgia has been proven again and again to be quite helpful. Um, I don't even agree that that's the definition of nostalgia. I don't, I don't think it has to be longing for a time in your past because for me, nostalgia is not longing for that. It is just very warm remembrances and wrapping myself up in that. Gotcha. Not, man, I wish I could be 14 again. <laughs> you don't wish you could be 14 again? <laughs> no, not what at all. What is wrong with you, Chuck? I wish I could be 26 again. Nostalgia. That's a pretty dope time in one's life. Nostalgia. Uh, but I don't, I don't look back and say, man, and I also take issue with, you know, sometimes things were better back then. Yeah, but Hodgman makes a pretty good point, and so do the social scientists that so support his point. Um, when, basically by definition, when you are experiencing the emotion, this very complex, weird, understudied emotion of nostalgia, you're thinking about something in a way that it really kind of didn't actually happen. Like the negative stuff gets cut out. Um, you know, like uh, stepping on a rusty nail right after that great memory from camp or whatever. Uh, that part gets cut out. And I disagree with the, that, too. Just the good stuff. So I'm talking about like the studies that support it. Yeah, but they, they I don't think these studies are right because it's subjective. It's very personal. Like I can remember. Well, that's social science for you. I can remember the smell of my grandparents' house, their first house, and how much I loved it. And that one summer I went on my first plane trip. And I also remember biting my tongue off playing soccer and how awful that was. Like, I don't edit that out and be like, no, everything about it was great. Like, no, I bit my tongue off and it was terrible. Um, so, okay. I think then what you're talking about is the difference between reminiscing, which is more of an episodic memory, and nostalgia, which is almost purely just an emotional memory. No, it's an emotional memory. All right. Well, then you... you You'll just have to say, I believe you, Chuck. I, uh, it hurts. I know it's hard. It burns. <laughs> I believe you, Chuck. All right, so let's go back in time a little bit. Um, there's a Swiss doctor named uh, Johannes Hofer nice. in 1688, uh, and he was studying some Swiss soldiers uh, that were stationed abroad, and he said, you know what? There's something going on here. They are depressed. They're anxious. They can't sleep. Uh, they're tired. They're even having heart uh, palpitations and fever. Um, they're angry really easily, um, and they just can't stop thinking about their home. It is almost as if they are homesick. Right. And so he coined the term. He coined the term um, nostalgia. nostalgia from Greek nostos, which means to return home. Yeah. And al- algos, or algos, pain. So the pain of yearning to return home. Yeah, is he, what he described. He literally said it's a cerebral disease of essentially demonic cause. Yeah, uh, ideas of the fatherland making them sick and longing for home. Uh, it's a no-brainer. It's like these guys are fighting a war and they'd rather be back home. Yeah, it sounds like he was describing PTSD though as well. Yeah, maybe because when th- these attendant symptoms that he talked about, like sure. not being able to sleep or eat and having fever and heart palpitations, that's not nostalgia. Yeah, but Johannes Hofer did. Um, set the tone for nostalgia for centuries. So either it was viewed as a physical malady or disorder or disease yeah. or a psychological one uh, up until basically the 1980s, to tell you the truth. Um, and at first, because of Hoffer's study of the Swiss soldiers, um, they actually thought that possibly it was just 
the Swiss who were afflicted by nostalgia. <laughs> and one of the other uh, alternative explanations for it was that the, the constant clanging of cowbells had done something to the um, nerves connecting the eardrum to the brain. That makes sense. And was basically driving these people crazy, wanting them to, making them want to go home. Right. Or at least steal the cowbell. Right. Yeah. Get it off the neck. <laughs> you want to hear something weird? Sure. So Hoffer also said that um, the the ideas of the fatherland that were vibrating in the, the soldiers' brains. Yeah. Um, he said that that was brought on by animal spirits. Yeah. And I I read this yesterday. The same night, I was reading an article by uh, Dr. Jack Kevorkian about human experimentation among the condemned and executed. Okay. Because that's what I do, right? He mentions animal spirits. Whoa. In the exact same way. So apparently there was a time when they thought that the, or they called what, what we would now call the electricity in the central nervous system. Yeah. Animal spirits. Right. It's one of those old terms. Right. And uh, I ran across it twice in one day. Wow. Which is basically the bio, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Right. I just thought that was so weird. I mean, like. Yeah, and that's pretty obscure, you know. Very obscure. It's not like, oh, I saw 11-11 on the clock again today. Right. You know. Right. Those people. Animal spirits. Yeesh. All right. So uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, and we, like you said, for many, many years, it was looked at as a mental illness called melancholia. Or immigrant psychosis. Uh, yeah, that was another thing. They thought that just immigrants, seamen, soldiers, and kids who went off to school were the ones who suffered from it. Yeah, basically you get shipped off somewhere and you yearn for the place that you liked better. Right. Uh, which is called just homesickness. Homesickness, right. But the, Two different the, things. But but not until the, the 80s even um, w- did it begin to get separated. Yeah, and this article points out very astutely, I thought this one was pretty good. Yeah. Um, that home is a Julia Layton joint. Yeah, she's been around House of Forks for a while. Mm-hmm. She's a vet, uh, not a veterinarian, <laughs> right. a veteran. or or a veteran <laughs> soldier. Um, although I don't know Julia, she might be both. Yeah, she could have. You never know. Served the uh, MP dogs as a vet in the army. In the army, um, homesickness. Julia points out is distressing, which makes a lot of sense. And that's different from nostalgia because nostalgia generally is, even though it is complex, uh, and we'll get to all that, it is generally looked at as a feeling of, uh, like, pleasant feelings wash over you when you think of the good old days. In direct contradiction to (laughs) Hodgman's wacky ideas. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's talk about it. Okay, so um, since it was up until, again, the late 1980s viewed as basically a, an attendant symptom or somehow tied into depression or some other psychological malady. Um, it, it, it wasn't until very recently that the social sciences started to say, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Let's look into it. So the actual study of nostalgia itself is extremely new and um, it's still very much under study, which is to say that the social sciences has not yielded any kind of definitive answer as to what nostalgia is, where it comes from. The There seems to be a general consensus that it is an emotion, yeah. but it's a complex secondary emotion, meaning it's not anger, it's not fear, it's not joy, but it seems to be secondary, and it seems to spring from um, society in the same way that a right. secondary emotion like embarrassment or self-consciousness um, has arisen from our experience in society. Nostalgia seems to have come 
in the same way. Yeah, and they've noticed some uh, trends, which is about as good as you can do when you're studying something like nostalgia. And when we talk about some of these real studies, it's they're frustrating for me to read, but we'll, we'll get to those. But uh, some of the trends, if you are a worry wart, uh, you might be a little more prone to nostalgize uh, because, you know, you're you're trying to escape your worries and think about like a happier time when you're right. on the beach, toes in the sand, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and they experts think that if you are in transitional periods of your life, uh, you're going to be more prone. Like if you're a, a kid growing into an adult or if you are in your 40s and 50s and you're transitioning into, uh, let's say, 50s or 60s. Well, from, I'm in my 40s. From middle age into senior adulthood. Yeah, these transitional, big transitions in your life, you might, might be a little more prone to sort of look at your life and think, because what have I done with my life is also tied to nostalgia. And that makes sense utterly and completely because what they found with nostalgia is that it's a, it's like you said, it's a means of escapism. And during these times where you're going from adolescence into young adulthood um, or middle-aged into old adulthood, that's a that's a place of fear. Yeah. You know, what's sure. coming next? Yeah. And you start thinking about the good times that you've had. Um, almost involuntarily, it seems like nostalgia happens. It's yeah, not like you think, certain. hmm, yeah. I, I, let me, uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous right now. Let me nostalgize. It, it, it's almost like an involuntary mental trigger that takes place. Although that is a thing. Uh, Julia points out that um, people can use it almost like a bag of tricks if they are prone to depression yeah. to call upon these things. And it's like n- nostalgia can be a tool. I mean, you'd have to kind of conjure it up. Sure. No, no, I know you can. You know? But you don't necessarily, that's not necessarily how it happens. And and they found that there are plenty of things that trigger it, like music, um, like smells, uh, di- different things that you, that basically serve as mnemonic devices in the formation of emotional memories. Um, and the, the thing that's come up from the study that has been done on nostalgia is that it seems to be universal. There's, it's not culturally bound, and the triggers that trigger nostalgia are also universal. So yeah. it'll be like a social, a memory of a social experience with friends and family. Sure. You know, and like that might be culturally bound, like Thanksgiving here right. in America yeah. or Canada, where they have fake Thanksgiving a month early. <laughs> um, but then it might be uh, Carnival down in Buenos Aires or something like that. So the the actual experience might be culturally bound, but the trigger itself, having a good time at yeah. like a, a holiday, is universal. Yeah. So let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and talk about triggers more after this, and we'll let Hodgman take a deep breath and maybe run around the block because I sense he's getting angry. <laughs> Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. 
and you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text stuff to 2512-928887, and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So we're back. Yeah, we are. Uh, we had to establish that because I got confused. You mentioned music uh, being a, a trigger that is very powerful. Um, so powerful. And again, it's it's variant among people's individual experience. But music for me, I did a lot of thinking about this, is huge nostalgia trigger. But I think I realized that almost 100% of the time it's a song that I haven't heard for a long, long time. So if I hear... Jay Giles Band's Centerfold. Boo! Great song. Boo! Reminds me of elementary school in a very powerful way in even specific things, but I've heard that song a gazillion times. I hear it once a week on classic rock radio. Oh, so so it doesn't flood you with nostalgia? No, no, no more. You've heard it too much. It's overused. Right. But if I hear a song from, like, all of my CDs are packed up in the attic, and most of those are from, like... A certain period in my life where I bought CDs. So if you hear True Blue, you just start weeping like Not a baby. Not True Blue, more recent than that. But if I hear a song from like one of my CDs from the mid-90s that I just may not have heard in a long time, that is like super, super powerful. Well, like what song? Give oh, I don't know. Song. Just like a song from my L.A. days, maybe. Okay. Um, or or just something I don't listen to, like uh, something from college that I don't listen to anymore uh-huh. and it's like never played on the radio. Like I'll hear Urban Dance Squad. Deeper Shade of Soul. Uh, Deeper Shade of Soul. Remember? No. No, they were. That sounds like a pretty '90s song, though. Yeah, it was very '90s, and like you never hear that song anymore. Sure. So if I hear that song, like just now, I just sang a little bit of it. How How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great. I'm not not feeling toxic. Hodgman's mad at you right now. I know. It feels wonderful, John. Stop! (laughs) Stop! So, uh, and, and I don't want to go back in time to then either. I'm just remembering like, man, what a great song. That takes me back to college. Yeah. And, and the reason why songs tend to be so powerful and potent, um, especially from a certain age, uh, typically adolescence, right? 
supposedly has to do with the the way that the brain is working right then. You know, everyone says teenagers have like raging hormones going on. Sure. Well, there is a lot more brain chemistry floating around than happens throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's easier to form very powerful emotional memories. Um, and when, when you're listening to music at that age, so that when you go back and listen to it, it's basically going back into your card catalog of a brain and unlocking that emotional memory so you get to experience it a little bit again. Yeah. And then that's nostalgia brought on for, by music. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, the one that gets me the most is scent. Yeah, scent and taste for me are really powerful too. So like um, the smell of um, Pillsbury cinnamon rolls and orange rolls uh-huh. is like Christmas age eight. Wow. Like every time. Now, it's, do you ever eat that stuff now? I as, just did yesterday. As a little... Trip down memory lane? Yes. Well, not as it, you know? Yeah. But it, it, it inevitably brought it on. Okay, so you didn't say, like, I'm doing a nostalgia podcast, I'm going to go get some of those sweet rolls. No, it okay. was totally coincidental, actually. Like the animal spirits. Yeah, what I've been doing lately is seeking out things that I haven't had in forever just to see what happens. Oh, yeah. So so basically, you're like... like I had a Slurpee um, the other day. You're like uh, Strange Days... <laughs> Remember that movie with yeah. uh, Ray Fiennes? Yeah, boy, that takes me back. But with yeah, <laughs> but with nostalgia. How, what what flavor Slurpee? Uh, I did the same I always did. I mixed cherry and Coke. Oh, nice. And I haven't had a Slurpee since probably like high school. Mm-hmm. And it was it you know that taste was so familiar, and exactly how I remember. But it wasn't like oh, this takes me back to those days. So just like oh, this is interesting. I, I ate a circus peanut the other day. Oh, gross. No, they're awful, but I haven't had one since I was probably 10. I've avoided those my whole life. Yeah. And, um, th- those, you know, those, uh, the other one that gets me are those, uh, remember when you were a kid trick or treating and you would get those kind of chewy peanut butter treats and the wax, the waxy <laughs> yeah. wrappers? Yeah. I don't remember what they're called. That they were no name, like, but no, everyone there's got a name them. and like 50 people are going to email them. Oh, really? Sure. Yeah. It's got to be that orange or I black exactly wax wrapper. Mean. Like yeah. those, man, instant nostalgia. Yeah. Nice. Not toxic. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, peanut butter Twix can do that for me. That was one of my <laughs> first favorite candy bars. I thought you were about to say, like, it takes me back to 2008. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had peanut butter Twix in the 80s. They tried it for a little yeah, while. Yeah, they were and awesome. And stopped. Yeah, they don't have those anymore, do they? Oh, now it's back. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that one in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> it's been tucked into my cheek right now. So uh, taste, uh, they think, in, in induces nostalgia pretty heavily because... Uh, the pathways carrying information from taste buds uh, are in the limbic system, yeah, and, which is where scent is as well. Yeah, and your olfactory bulb is super-duper in the limbic system, and it's actually got a direct connection to the amygdala, which um, helps uh, experience emotions. And um, what's the other component of the limbic system? The hippocampus? Yeah, the hippocampus, which sorts and stores memories. So your olfactory bulb itself is... Almost literally plugged in to the two components of your brain that form emotional memories, which is one reason why scent uh, can trigger nostalgia so powerfully too. Yeah, does that? I wondered if that means that if it's more immediate, then it's stronger. Like if it's just a quicker link, maybe. Like literally, the pathway is shorter. Right. Could be interesting. That I, I mean, that's that's what Leighton um, supposed. Yeah, and I don't think she. Uh, pulled that out of her head. I think that's the common belief, right? 
for something that they don't understand that much. Yeah, and I that I think that's probably got to be coming through to dear listeners, right? That oh, I like think they know. This is <laughs> like this is there's a lot of grasping at threads going on in part because it is just very um it's very early on in the study of nostalgia. There's not a lot of people studying it. And so the number of theories is kind of narrow. But a lot of it does make sense. Yeah, and when you look at these studies, which we'll talk about, so many of them hinge on, are you feeling nostalgic? All right, let's do something to you. Right. Or you're not feeling nostalgic. Yeah. Let's do the same thing to you. Yeah. Which, I mean, uh, this is a very tough study to pull off. It totally is, and that's a big problem that the social sciences run up against. Is like They are studying subjective reports. Well, the average person can't tell you how they're feeling even when they sit there and think about how they're feeling. Yeah. So there are standardized, standardized questionnaires that have become accepted in the field that, yeah. that say this scores a person's, like, um, like feeling of nostalgia. There's actually a questionnaire that, that is designed to rate how nostalgic you are at the time you take it. Um, and, and there's, there are ways to study. It's not just totally willy-nilly, but when you compare it to something, say, like um, biology or something like that, it's, yeah. it's a little – it's it's slightly wispier. Agreed. Um, should we take a wispy break yeah. and talk about some of these studies after this? Yes. All right, buddy. We uh, teased on some studies, uh, and I don't want to say I made fun of them, but they're they're just. I think you pointed out some of their flaws. inherent flaws. Sure. So let's talk about them. Um, here is one where they had subjects read uh, about different things. One was a tsunami disaster. One was like one bad thing, two good things. One was a disaster. One was the successful landing of a space probe. Uh-huh. Another one was the birth of a polar bear in a zoo. Which, I mean, depending on, like that right there. You might hate polar bears. You might hate zoos. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's a real good point, actually. Yeah. They probably shouldn't use that. No. And it's a problem with any kind of standardized questionnaire, whether it's the SAT or yeah. the um, standardized questionnaire for nostalgia. Totally. Uh, so after reading these, they answered questions assessing their current levels of nostalgia. What they found was... The people who read about the tsunami were the most nostalgic, which led them to believe that people call upon nostalgia when they're not feeling good about something. Right. And that, they use it. That is the prevailing predominant theory of nostalgia these days, that it is a um, – it is – you can do it voluntarily, but it's basically an involuntary defense mechanism – when we experience what's called discontinuity. And discontinuity comes in many forms, but all of it amounts to a reminder that we are going to eventually die one day. And it th- that thought can come in all sorts of different forms. It can come when uh, we have a relationship that's breaking down, when we're far away from our social network. We w- There are any number of ways that we're reminded of our own mortality, right? Yeah. And one of our big defense mechanisms is growing nostalgic. And uh, it's basically built-in suicide prevention because it makes you wonder, like, if we didn't have a way to get back on track, like, through nostalgia, yeah. and you just, like, entered a period of discontinuity 
and never got back to, you know, life's good again, yeah. where would we be as a species? Who knows? So nostalgia seems to be some sort of evolutionary trick where, um, when we look into the void and think, oh God, I'm going to die or my life is meaningless or whatever, yeah. we experience nostalgia and it has this incredible flood of beneficial, um, effects on the person who's feeling nostalgic. Yeah, I thought this one article was pretty great when they were talking about discontinuity. They referenced uh, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and I think Young, right? Like I know. You know the song. No. Very popular. Can you sing it like an Urban Dance Squad song? No. Come on. You know Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. I swear I don't. If you have heard any Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, you've heard this one. It's very, very famous. Uh, I'm thinking Bob Seger right now. <laughs> is it Bob, is it the Bob Seger song is what you mean? Uh, no. But here's a line by Stephen Stills. Don't let the past remind us of what we are not now. Right. That's again, Hodgman's critic, Hodgman's not alone in his criticism. Yeah. That, that it, it seems like, uh, nostalgia could lead you down this road where you're, you're just like, oh, the past is so much better than the present. But apparently, from study of nostalgia, it does the exact opposite. It affirms the meaning of your life. It reminds you that you are loved um, now, here and now. And it gets you back on track after a, a, um, an experience of discontinuity, which right. is bizarre. I'm going to sing a little bit of it. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I am yours. You are mine. We are what we are. Mm-hmm. What have we got to lose? Right. That's that song. I got you. That's Don't a good let, song. Yeah, see, it's a great song. It's better than the Bob Seger song, <laughs> I think. There is no good Bob Seger song. That's not true. Name one. Uh, Old time rock and roll. No, terrible. Worst song ever. Turn the page. Awful. Like a rock. Awful. Katmandu. Kill me. There's one though that's not bad. I think we've had this conversation before. I, I think I've been on record as being a big Bob Seger hater. Now, I'm not big on him either, but there's there's at least one or two. Oh, you'd love them. You want, to get, you want to get married to him. <laughs> All right. That's enough about me and Bob Seeger. Yeah, see? You got uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I'm having a moment of discontinuity. Yeah, we were talking about uh, the studies, right? Well, I think what we were saying was that it, if you look at nostalgia from the, the way that Hodgman looks at it, which makes sense, um, you would think, well, nostalgia is a bad thing. When, right. in fact, studies have shown that nostalgia actually gets you back on track when you're feeling like, oh, God, I'm going to die one day or, oh, I'm not loved or whatever, rather than getting stuck in reminiscing about how great the past was compared to the present. It reaffirms that the present's pretty great. Yeah, they said, uh, and we always say they, like, it's sort of an ambiguous body of people I know, who sometimes we get called out by people who are paying attention. Yeah, who is they? Uh, researchers of nostalgia say <laughs> yeah, they. that um, positive mental states include um, higher self-esteem, more socially connected, more generous, more altruistic, mm-hmm. more optimistic, uh, worry less about the future and death. Yep. And Pretty that, good. That makes it a part of terror management theory, which we actually did a, a really cool episode on. Oh, yeah. It was one of those sleepers, you know, that probably not a, a lot of people listen to, but it was awesome. Yeah, and uh, they did some other studies, and this, to me, is really interesting. Um, in China, uh, was one study, and elsewhere, they have determined that nostalgic feelings might literally make you warmer. Right. 
like physically warmer. Yeah. And when I said the warm thing washes over you, mm-hmm. they think it might have played a role in evolution. To, like when you're colder and you think of these thoughts, you get warmer. Yeah. Um, uh, from this study in China, um, they, they found that the study participants were, when they were cold and they were nostalgizing, they were imagining themselves or they were remembering a, an experience in a warm place. Right. And apparently it had the effect of making them feel physically warmer. Yeah, and less susceptible to the pain of extreme cold. And another study, they had nostalgic and non-nostalgic subjects hold their hands in 39-degree Fahrenheit water until they couldn't take it anymore. And if you were feeling nostalgic, you could hold your hand in there longer. So that proves that it warms you up, right? Right. Not really. But it's interesting. It is interesting. All of this is pretty interesting. And there is there is supposedly a, a point where nostalgia can become harmful to you. It's called pathological nostalgia, um, where you basically do get locked into the idea that everything used to be better back in the day or whenever at some other point. Yeah. But it's um, rare compared to regular what's called personal nostalgia, which is all the nostalgia we've been talking about. And then there's the social nostalgia too, right? Yeah, where, like when you didn't even live through it. Yeah, where, um, you know, like 17 year olds today wearing like a Nirvana t-shirt or a Misfits t-shirt or something like that or being into that music or thinking like how great the 90s were. And it's like, dude, yeah, we lived through the 90s. They were not great, but it's the same thing. Like I love 80s stuff. Sure. I lived through the 80s, but, um, I remember thinking the 80s sucked. And then, you know, as an older person, when the 80s came back, I'm like, yeah, the 80s were pretty fun. Yeah, I think that's kind of accompanied sometimes, too, by this feeling of, like, I was born in the wrong time. Right. Like, man, I would have been a great hippie in the 60s, and I just don't fit in here in the 90s. Sure. Like, personally, I think the 70s were probably the greatest decade of all time. Oh, yeah? But that's ignoring the fact that, like, Richard Nixon was president, there was an oil embargo, there's all this bad stuff, whereas... I'm just thinking like dazed and confused type 70s where everything was just great and happy and loose, you know, and laid back. Sure. And that's nostalgia. It washes out the negative for everyone but you. Yeah, I would say Richard Linklater (laughs) is one of the more nostalgic filmmakers out there. Sure. He really plays on that. Yeah, supposedly his new movie that's coming out is going to be awesome. Everybody wants some. Is that what it is? Yeah. So it's like Days and Confused like four or five years later, right? Yeah. He, he said it's sort of like a spiritual sequel, like not the same characters, but um, just sort of 1980, that right. advent of when things were transferring Man, to disco from, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. He's the best. That was a great movie, Days and Confused. Uh, agreed. Um, so the other thing that they found is that uh, they did a study, uh, Clay Routledge of North Dakota State did a study. There, there, specifically a they with a name. Yeah, a real guy. So complain to him. Uh, he did a, a series of experiments with English, Dutch, and American adults. So he kind of had some different nationalities going on. It's not exclusively American, of course. He let them listen to hit songs from their youth and uh, read lyrics. And afterward, people said uh, they were more than likely uh, to feel loved and that life is worth living. <laughs> Some more affirmation when they remember these good old days. Yeah. Question 28. Do you feel life is worth living? Check yes or no. <laughs> uh, and finally, I got one more thing. Um, they say, well, they do recommend that you not fall into that trap of... Pathological nostalgia? Yeah, of comparing the present to the past so much. Uh, and they also found that certain kinds of people aren't as great with nostalgia. 
So maybe you should not indulge in nostalgia if you are leery of intimate relationships they found or you're an avoidant person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says they have uh, reaped smaller benefits from nostalgia compared with people who crave closeness. So I don't know what that says about Hodgman, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's throw that out there. So uh, what's your number one nostalgia thing? What gets it for you more than anything else? Probably music. I got two things that are tied for first. Okay. The smell of a used bookstore or comic book shop, that smell of like that, yeah. I guess, rotting paper, Yeah. Uh, reminds me of Mad Magazines from back oh, in the day. I and so then love them. The fat Christmas lights. Oh, yeah, the big... Uh, I, I could just faint from the nostalgia. Yeah, they're like, they were the big tacky ones that are coming back now. That's all my family ever used was yeah. the big fat ones. Yeah. It was like more Christmas light. You know what you call those? Tree burners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we never caught a tree on fire, but yeah, they get pretty hot. You know what my dad did for a few years is <clears throat> as we were opening our gifts, toward the end, he would start dismantling the uh, tree mm-hmm. and pruning the limbs and putting them in the fireplace. He would literally burn the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. <laughs> that's very, uh, wow, that's very efficient. Was he German? That's one way to look at it. Uh, no. Uh, I should say, is he? He is not. Okay. And I wish I would have given you a specific nostalgic thing, but... um. You did Urban Dance Squad. No, nah, just music in general. <laughs> Taste, smell, music. Gotcha. Nice. Put those three together and look out. <laughs> Chuck's eyes roll <laughs> back into his head. And Hodgman claps over him and says, get up. Uh, if you want to know more about nostalgia, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said search bar, so it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is from Christina about the makeup episode. She points out some good things, I think. Uh, hey, guys, have to weigh in on how makeup works. I think you uh, failed to adequately acknowledge something uh, we are not, in fact, at a stage where makeup is truly optional uh, for women. And I think we said that, basically. Did we? Yeah, at the end. Well, I think we said, like, it should be your option, but I think she doesn't feel like it truly is an option. Right, no, we said that. We said, like, the the, the very fact that there was, like, you know, the, taking a picture of yourself and posting it on Twitter without makeup was rebellious says that... It's still not really an option. We said that. All right, so forget it, Christina. We're not reading this. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to read it. Uh, while many love wearing makeup, many women simply feel obliged to wear it and are, in fact, penalized if they choose not to. Uh, it comes in the form of failing to be promoted, maybe, or taking seriously, getting raises, even being hired. It is a hugely expensive habit, too, especially if you like to buy the prestige makeup brands. Which, oh, nice. Yeah. Call out. Uh, so she recommended people read an article from The Atlantic which is always a good recommendation, called The Makeup Tax. And it kind of sums up the problem like this. Women invest time and money into doing their makeup because it impacts their relationships and their paychecks. While both genders tend to buy haircuts, shaving cream, and moisturizer, the price of makeup is something men never have to worry about. Yeah. And uh, then she goes on to point on uh, point out just how expensive the, the gap is uh, between like a man's haircut and a woman's haircut even. You know? Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Well, it depends on where you go. Yeah, but I mean, if you're a woman that goes to a, like a, you know, not super cuts. Right. It depends on where the man goes, though, too. If you go to a salon and you get like a cut and color as a woman, you're paying like several hundred dollars. Sure. But that's the color jacking it up. Yeah, it's both. I don't mean to be contrary. That's, yes, I agree. They, with they pay a lot more money, trust me. Is it me. Christina? 
Yeah, I go to uh, Great Clips. Big shout out to Great Clips. Nice. There's a free <laughs> cut in your future. So Christina says, uh, yeah, after my 10th cut. <laughs> Do you a- have the card? <laughs> no, not a card, but they give you a receipt every now and then that says like 15% off your $8 nice. haircut. Which amounts to $8. It's actually more than that. It's like 14 or 15 but remember in tipping, it's 14 and I give them 20 and you were like, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so it's Christina. got me all over again. <laughs> she finishes up with, I look forward to a day when wearing makeup is really, truly a choice for anyone of any gender in both individuals and institutions. Respect those choices. In the meantime, I choose to save my pennies and stick it to the man by not buying makeup and normalizing my own bare face. Good for you. Uh, and Christina is a California native listening in Dublin, Ireland. Nice. Ahoy, as they say in Ireland. Did they say that? Yeah. All right. We'll find out, I think. I hope. Uh, thanks a lot, Christina. All points agreed. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Christina did, whether you're in Dublin or uh, Los Angeles or wherever, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours, too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.